one of the things that always attracted me about coming here, I think myself and Trent share the same vision of how to build a football team. Um, it kind of shows itself that we're drafting the same guys that I were taking coming out of high school are the same guys that we want when we're, when we're looking at them moving into the next level. It's time to talk 49ers football on Gold Faithful with Brian Peacock and Nick Winkler. It was just kind of fun to sit back and watch him work the board and work the phones and, and give us two really quality players on the offensive and defensive line where I think the game starts. Of course, that was Chip Kelly, head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, talking about his first draft with GM Trent Balky. Thanks for joining us once again on Gold Faithful. I'm Brian Peacock. With me is Nick Winkler. Hey, everybody. Big show today. Obviously, draft just went down. Oh, Got to talk about that. Got undrafted free agent signings as well. Also, two big guests today. Two. Two guests. We have Chris Biederman of USA Today, Niners Wire, and we also have Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus. He will have some deep statistics and knowledge of the guys who were uh, brand new 49ers. Yeah, it's uh, very exciting stuff. I, of course, was in New York during the draft so i didn't you know i was there uh, it was like a couple's weekend so for me it was a lot of looking at my phone when the wife would go to the bathroom or at intermission <laughs> of the broadway show i was at uh, and some texts to you i was texting my brother i've got a few other friends that are big 49er fans i'm texting them i'm like tell me about this guy what's going on what am i missing that's what you were just feeding her water so she'd go to the bathroom more often <laughs> like hey uh, waiter waiter we need more water more water quickly uh, that's funny. So uh, it's unfortunate that the draft isn't in New York anymore. You could have maybe uh, cruised by there, yeah? Yeah, that would have been great. At least go outside and, you know, flag down a, one of the many television reporting cameras outside. I could have been, you know, that fool dancing in the background or something. <laughs> and I, I know played you, the fool very well. Oh, yeah, of course. You you saw Pearl Jam, right? That was that was the main reason to go? I did, yes. And we, we ended up seeing a couple of Broadway shows as well. Also, we did like a, a dinner cruise. Uh, out there around Manhattan and just saw this, you know, the skyline at night. And, oh, it was just an epic trip. I'm I'm broke now. I'm not going to be able to buy food for the next <laughs> couple of weeks, but it was it was epic. Which Broadway shows did you see? We saw Something Rotten, which uh, is directed by the guys who did Book of Mormon. Uh, hilarious show. Highly recommend it. We oh, had nice. no idea what it was about. Just kind of went went there and went to the Red Stairs and we're like, give us a show. What, what's a good one? Oh, Something Rotten. Okay, we'll go. And, yeah, just – fantastic one of the the actors from spotlight was the main guy in it and it's a musical about the time of shakespeare and just a comedy and, and hilarious and then we saw uh, an adaptation of school of rock which was amazing because the little kids all played their instruments for real it was oh man out of this world nice it sounds like a hell of a trip yeah it really was again again spent way too much money right but yeah well worth it right right well, I guess it's probably time we should get into this. A lot of talk about, uh, obviously, the draft happened. The 49ers ended up with 11 picks. And uh, so a lot of brand-new 49ers. And it's, it's I'm trying to take the temperature. I shot it out to Twitter earlier to see if, if a lot of people like the draft. It's always a weird time because you don't always know every guy that got taken. And there's 300-some-odd guys going into this. And you're thinking, oh, here's all the ones that I think – I've heard of, or these are the ones I want the 49ers to get. You know, you know you're only going to come up with seven of them. Usually the 49ers had 11 picks. So they get 11 guys, but a lot of them were late. So not a ton of star power uh, outside of that first round. And obviously they 
had some trade action there. But I want to get started with our first guest, Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus, and uh, see what the advanced statistics say about the new players that Trent Baalke and Chip Kelly brought into the organization. One of my favorite 49ers writers to talk to, and this guy just has all the information, the deep information. This is not even stuff that you can get because there's an army of people. Now that I've been involved with Pro Football Focus a little bit, I know the army of people it takes to compile all this data and all the information that goes into PFF grades. So I definitely want to thank Jeff for coming on with us today. No problem. How are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. I'm rolling solo right now. Uh, we're having some difficulties, so Nick is kind of offset. He can actually hear me, but he can't hear you. This is uh, this is the Skype age we live in. It's, for some reason, <laughs> it's not working as it did the last few weeks when we've been doing the show uh, remotely. But uh, well, hopefully, maybe, we'll maybe lucky for him, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let's go global with the whole thing first of all. How, how did you feel about the 49ers Hall on draft day overall? Um, uh, some good, some a little bit questionable. I mean. I mean, I know you and I are, were on the Jared Goff to the 49ers bandwagon early. Um, and, of course, that kind of crashed and burned a long time ago. So, I mean, once that did, um, DeForest Buckner was my guy. Um, I mean, I think, one, I mean, PFF had him on, as number two on their big board. Um, Sam Munson, who's like one of our senior analysts, had him, actually had him as their number one guy in his draft board. Um, I mean, not only that, just being one of the top guys in the league or in college football last year, uh, I mean, he's just a perfect fit to the Niners scheme. Obviously, the Oregon runs a similar 3-4 there. I mean, we you know talked about the Eric Armstead last year and stuff like that. So I thought, aside from the, just my talent standpoint, he was a perfect fit on the Niners' defensive line. He was the our number one graded interior lineman last year. He was uh, trying to think. He, he had he played more snaps than any interior lineman last year at Oregon, which anybody else in college football, which is huge when you talk about, you know, Chip, Chip Kelly's tempo offense and, you know, the defense being on the field and playing a lot of plays. But that's something I think it kind of goes unnoticed a little bit. But um, he – I'm trying to think what else. He had the most quarterback pressures of any interior lineman in college football last year. So, I mean, just – and if you actually go back to when he and Armstead were both juniors in 2014, uh, Buckner graded significantly better than Armstead did on our site as well. So, I think he was just a huge talent that was great that he saw the seven – I think it's going to be a great set in the line, really short of a defensive line with Armstead, and hopefully Ian Williams comes back healthy. So I love that pick a lot. Um, I am a big fan of Joshua Garnett. Um, I watched a lot of Stanford football last year. Uh, a little earlier than I thought he was going to go, but I know, I imagine, you know, with, with Seattle sitting right behind him and with their offensive line issues, I imagine Balky thought that he had to get ahead of the Seahawks. So I get that a little bit. I mean, it cost him a fourth-round pick, but, um, you know, he was our top-graded uh, running, uh, run blocking guard last year in college football. You know he's probably the best pulling guard in college football. You know that was in the draft too. So I think, you know, if, if they start running some power and stuff like that, um, I think he'll fit in good. I think you'll probably see him play left guard and maybe see Beatles uh, move over to right. So, you know, a little early, but I, I love both those picks. After that, um, you know, there's there's some head scratches, not so much the players themselves, but just the positions. Yeah. You didn't see a wide receiver go until, like, the sixth round with Aaron Burbridge. They didn't take a quarterback until the sixth round with, with Jeff Driscoll, which I'm sure we'll get to a little later. Part of that I get because, I mean, I, I love golf. I mean, I liked Wentz. Um, but after that, actually, there was a huge drop-off. I was so-so on Paxton Lynch. I do not like Connor Cook at all and even feel worse about Christian Hackenberg. So some of those guys in kind of the second or third round range, I 
I was glad they didn't pull a trigger. I think when they moved up to pick Garnett, I was terrified that it was the move to pick up uh, Connor Cook. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, I, I felt um, the exact same way with, with the trade-up because the players you thought they might have moved up for were no longer on the board. The receivers were gone, and Lynch exactly. was gone. So you're thinking, uh, for me at least, I thought, well, this is either Cook or it's Jack. Right. Praying it was my old Jack. It's just interesting. I think ever since he dropped A.J. Jenkins, he's been terrified to take a wide receiver early. Like, he run on cornerbacks just because, you know, they don't have a shutdown cornerback, right? Your number one guy. I mean, train block's kind of a nice number two to have. But they had a lot of depth at corner where they had some, like, just either young guys with some talent or, you know, some halfway decent guys. I mean, you figure, you know, we got, I get, you know, Ward's slot corner. I guess they had a good year last year. But I mean, looking at, like, you know, Dante Johnson and, and Asker and Reeser and, and even, you know, Kamadi came off the practice squad and for the street and, and then looked happy with Easton. So they had, I think, a quite a, a good slew of quarterbacks. I mean, nobody great, but a lot of adequate guys. So for them to, to draft a couple in the middle rounds and then, like, one late, I thought was a little bit interesting as well because now, I mean, I, I get that, you know, everyone's playing 11 personnel and four wide receivers and MVP. You need all the cornerbacks you can get, but I thought there's obviously some other needs, whether it was wide receiver or, you know, they didn't really take a middle linebacker. You know, there were some other positional needs that they that didn't really get addressed. And, I mean, you don't want to draft strictly for need, but just it was kind of interesting to see them go with some of the positions they did. Yeah, the way they stacked up the positions with the two corners and the two offensive linemen, or three corners, uh, it, you made, it really makes you wonder because they already had a lot of those late-round guys that they're developing, and – to see him kind of go that route again, and, and I don't know, it just, I just competition, I guess, is what he's trying to create. He 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 thought the top guys were gone, so you could create a bunch of competition there, and hopefully you get you know at least one diamond out of that that group, right, uh, uh, on the offensive line or in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I mean, he seemed to be pretty you know happy with Trent Brown last year. They drafted late to develop a tackle. I mean, I don't know if how much. He's a fit with Chip Kelly's scheme of the you know the up tempo and everything else with his size, but you know they seem to be pretty happy than last year. Maybe they were listening to Anthony Davis's tweets and stuff, but you know taking the two tackles, I think almost back to back, was kind of in the late rounds was kind of interesting too. Do you have any information on those two offensive tackles? Because my just pure uh, work watching the film that I saw of them, I wasn't really impressed with either one of those players, and I think they can provide depth maybe maybe at guard if not offensive tackle, but neither one was great in the pass or the run game. I didn't think so. Uh, what does Pro Football Focus say about those guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Theus had kind of graded middle of the pack the last two years on our site. I think he was, I think he had like a minus 1.4 grade, which is just a hair below average last year. I think the year before that he was like plus 2.4 off the top of my head. So, I mean, just barely above average. And he actually graded pretty well. We, one thing we did, we graded the senior bowl. We also graded all the practices during the week. He actually graded pretty well during the practices, but I mean, aside from that, obviously he's playing a pretty tough conference. But you know, he's pretty much graded middle of the pack, nothing, you know, exciting. Um, and then with with Fawn Cooper, I mean, he actually was someone who did not grade very well on our site at all. He was actually, I think, minus 13 in 2014, and somewhere about the minus 10 ballpark in 2015. Obviously, you know, he's at he's at Ole Miss. He's in a, he's just, you know the best conference in football, and I know. He was starting at right tackle, then all the games that Tunsil was out, he was moving on to left tackle, so he was going back and forth. And, you know, the level of competition is obviously much better than some of these other guys we have graded on, in college football focus. But, 
you know, didn't look that impressive as far as our grades go. So when they did finally get to the skill positions at the end of the draft there in the sixth round, uh, is there any positives, negatives that you pull away from Jeff Driscoll or uh, Burbridge? Actually, Taylor was a complete surprise. I mean, I, I the only reason I knew his name is because he was Fred Taylor's kid, but he, he didn't really jump off as highly productive in college either. But uh, he's one of those players that I think could really surprise just because he has really good feet. Um, and he's he's been, tra- you know, he's been obviously trained very well to play football for a very long time. Uh, and he hits the hole hard, seems to have some vision, but just lacks size, lacks speed, lacks like sort of the wow factors that, that make you think he has a lot of upside, but he, he might be able to surprise just because just he has good feet and good vision. Yeah, and we were talking about addressing these. I actually thought that might be a position they address a little earlier just because, and I mean, I am probably the biggest Carlos Hyde fan on earth as far as when he's healthy, how destructive a running back he is. I mean, his metrics on our site are like off the chart as far as our elusive rating we have and just the number of missed tackles per carry um, ratio he has. I mean, it's like off the charts with him when he's on the field, but the problem with him obviously has been that when he runs with that physical style, he hasn't had he hasn't been able to stay on the field that much. So I thought they tried to get somebody earlier to compliment him. I liked, you know, Kenneth Dixon or even like a Paul Perkins from UCLA, but yeah, me they too. got taken right a little bit before them. But yeah, so I mean, the one interesting thing with Kelvin Terry, he did not fumble once the last two seasons, which is pretty impressive. Um, you know, he didn't catch a lot of balls last year. I think he had 18 catches, but he forced 11 missed tackles on those 18 catches, which is pretty good. Um, the one issue kind of in our staff that um, he had, he stayed in the block in 77 snaps, uh, pass snaps last year, and was actually charged an RN with eight pressures, which is quite a bit. So the pass blocking, at least from stats-wise, um, was a little bit of a weak spot for him. I mean, and then you want to talk about Aaron Burbridge. Um, we, yeah, he actually graded pretty well on our side. He was, I think, 10th in our draft class as far as production grade last year. And then if you look at his productivity, his receiving yards per uh, pass route run. He was also 10th in the draft class. Uh, most of the guy lined up outside about 80% of the time. He did have 10 drops last year, but the one good thing with him was he caught 65% of his deep ball targets that were you know, 20 yards or more last year, which was, I think, in the top two or three among wide receivers. So he definitely was a, a decent deep threat, um, even though he doesn't quite have the speed. Jeff Triscoll is kind of a quarterback that he intrigued me a little bit just because I think he's someone who might be a good fit for Chip Kelly's offense. Um, you know, big guy, he's very mobile. I think he was the fastest guy to combine among quarterbacks, if I remember correctly. You know, if you watch him a lot of Florida, I mean, you know, that's, you know, definitely struggled there. He had to put up a really good year at Louisiana Tech last year. Um, I think his production grade was in the top 12 among quarterbacks in his draft class. Um, the one the one really good number, and it's interesting because last year Florida, when he was pressured, his quarterback rating was in the 30s, which is absolutely awful. I think the average for um, college football is around the 60s, but last year Louisiana Tech, he actually had a higher pass rating when he was pressured, which was about 107 as opposed to when he was throwing the clean pocket, which was about 103. So he was able to handle pressure very well last season, and uh, you know his best game on our end as far as grade school was actually the the bowl game they played against Arkansas State. I think he threw about 450 yards and and three TDs as well. So you know he kind of it's he's one of those guys that comes from the you know spread pass happy get rid of the ball quick offenses, lots of screen passes and stuff like that. So, you know, I haven't watched a ton of tape on him, to be quite honest. I watched uh, a couple nights ago against Mississippi State, I think, and he, you know, he had a couple of throws late, I think, when they were behind. He was trying to force the issue that he probably wanted to have back. But um, they had him out in the run and out of the pocket a lot, and he seemed to uh, throw the ball pretty accurately there. So, I mean, intriguing guy, obviously, with a six-round pick. 
you know, it's, it's you know, kind of a, a throwing darts at that point. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because I mean, I you know, talk about Colin Kaepernick later and what his deal. It would not shock me that Driscoll had plays more snaps than Kaepernick next year, just based on if they think he's a fit in the offense and um, if you know if they actually give Kaepernick a shot to to win the starting job or if he ends up getting the RG3 treatment like he did last year in Washington. Right, so if things fall apart, they might just say, hey, you know what, let's just go with the rookie and see what he's got. Yeah. You know, honestly, logic dictated to me that he would have been traded a couple months ago, so I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him this year, <laughs> but nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah, with that whole saga, I, I, I don't even know how to begin to think about that, but it's funny that right before the draft, the very last rumors were, oh, uh, Cap kind of likes Chip Style. And we're like, what? Wait a second. You can't go back now and say something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to stuff all that back into the bottle at this point. I mean, they, you know, obviously, you know, the agent, you know, the players asked for the trade. They've let him meet with, you know, Denver on multiple occasions with their GM and their coach and everything. So, I mean, it's clear that they're more than willing to trade him. So, to, to kind of, to try to bring him back at this point, I think it's kind of an awkward situation. But that's the Niners for you. Well, the one guy we haven't talked about yet is Ronald Blair, and I want to get to him because he might be my favorite pick besides Buckner in the first round. Uh, what kind of PFF grades did he get? Yeah, he was definitely a PFF favorite last year. Obviously, a little bit of an undersized guy, but another, you know, three four defensive end. He had a plus forty two point seven grade last year, which was fourth among uh, three four defensive ends. He led all three four ends with uh, fifty total stops. Um, the fourth Buckner was actually second with forty nine. He led all three four defensive ends in run stop percentage. I think at thirteen point eight percent. His pass rush productivity rating was like in the top three among. Uh, three, four defensive ends. Um, you know, thinking of Appalachian State, didn't have a you know, very big schedule. I think they only played one Power Five team last year, which was Clemson. But he actually had a two point, a plus two point two grade, and he had a season high eight stops against Clemson. So when they did have a play against you know the tougher competition, he definitely held his own. You know, and it really seems like uh, Trent Baalke is trying to build that sub package that you know because the, ba- the basically sub is the new base, and you're in it sixty to seventy percent of the times now. So. Uh, he, I think he really fits as someone who's an interior rusher there and can be on the field actually quite a bit more than you would expect for someone who's an undersized sub-package end. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing also with Buckner. I mean, not only is it just that, that, you know, I guess the four technique, but I mean, it seems like both those guys kind of played all over the line a little bit last year and can, it can give you some versatility. There he is. So much information. Jeff, I want to let you get back to that Sharks playoff game. I know you're interested, and I've, I've taken away enough of your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show, man. No problem, anytime. All right, thank you. Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus. You can find him at PFF underscore Jeff. Always good stuff there from Jeff Dini. Hey, I got to tell you, that was brutal, just sitting here <laughs> and listening to, like, one half of the conversation. Not that your half wasn't fantastic and very informative. I just – I'm so excited to listen to the show now because I want to hear what Jeff Dini was saying. Yeah, and unfortunately, he came with the information, so uh, tune in just like everybody else to get all those uh, deep stats and stuff from, from Jeff Dini and the Pro Football Focus crew. But uh, we have another guest that we should probably get to. He is a 49ers writer for At Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Of course, great with all sports throughout the Bay Area. Follow him on Twitter, probably already do, at Chris Biederman. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having So, Chris, what position do you feel that the 49ers should have drafted? I mean, we see, you know, they took the three – Offensive linemen, they took, you know, three cornerbacks. They got the quarterback late. They got the running back late. Where, where do you think the 49ers missed? 
I thought they should have gotten an edge rusher, outside linebacker, defensive end, hybrid type guy. Um, I was expecting him to after after the pass rush was was not very good last year, and uh, and and I think the best way to improve your defense and, and Trent Baalke talks about you know getting off the field on third down is is with the pass rush. So they're basically coming back while while the D line is going to look a lot different. Um, along the edges with, with their outside linebackers and some of their outside guys, it's, it's going to look largely the same. And with the exception of Eli Harold, I don't know, you know how that group is going to get better this year. Um, so you know, I, they, they could make up for some of their issues getting after the quarterback with DeForest Buckner and with Ronald Blair, obviously, the, the defensive lineman they got in the draft. But um, really, I mean, that you see it with the Broncos, you see it with all sorts of teams. The, the teams that can get after the quarterbacks on the edges are, are typically the teams that are most successful. So I was a little surprised they didn't take um, an outside linebacker pass rusher type, particularly in the third or fourth round when they took those cornerbacks, Redmond and, and Robinson. Um, I thought Shalee Calhoun made, made a lot of sense in, in the third round when, you know, after they, who went to the Raiders well after the Niners took. Uh, Redmond. So yeah, I, overall, I, I definitely think it's it's outside linebacker, defensive end, those those pass rusher spots. Yeah, I totally agree. The edge rusher situation, and and really, when it comes down to any football team, it's it's quarterback, and then it's getting to the quarterback and protecting the quarterback, especially with the insane passing uh, league that the NFL has become. So I was a little bit surprised that that really those were. I mean, they they did draft a couple offensive tackles, but I don't know how much impact either one of those guys can make. Uh, in John Theus in Fawn Cooper, and we just talked to Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus, and he, they didn't get great grades. I think Theus had better grades um, than Cooper, but I, I don't know about Theus's tape. wasn't necessarily all that great out of Georgia. And then obviously, you know, you waited till the sixth round for a wide receiver. You waited till the sixth round for a quarterback. So I guess Chip is really. I mean, they paid a lot of lip service to it before the draft about being okay with the guys they have at quarterback, and I guess they weren't lying. Yeah, and and I think that was pretty apparent. Um, you know, if Jared Goff or Carson Wentz probably, if they would have fallen to seven, I I, I think the Forty ers would have pulled the trigger on one of those guys, particularly Goff, um, given his fit in, in Kelly's offense. And yeah, it, it was definitely surprising that they didn't address uh, skill positions earlier in the draft after Kelly had had done that frequently uh, in his three drafts with the Eagles, taking receivers early. I thought, you know, someone like Michael Thomas from Ohio State in the second round <clears throat> would have made a lot of sense, and, and he reminds me a lot of uh, of Matthews, who we took in the second round two years ago Yeah, with, with, with the Eagles. So it was a little bit surprising considering the um, the, the lack of talent the 49ers have at, at their skill positions. The quarterback thing isn't so much of a surprise. Uh, I think Jeff Driscoll makes a lot of sense for them. In, you know, picking in the sixth round, you look at the other quarterbacks that went in in those later rounds. Driscoll has arguably as much, if not more, upside than any of those guys. Um, and you look at his athletic ability and, and running the same type of offense Kelly runs, uh, or, or working at Louisiana Tech in the in the same same kind of up tempo, you know, zone read offense. I think that made a lot of sense. But yeah, I, it it is a little bit surprising how confident the 49ers have have been in their their current quarterback situation um but i guess they don't really have a choice if they weren't going to draft a quarterback high they have to exude all the confidence they can in blaine gabbert so i think if, if we've learned anything these last few years particularly with trent balky it's that you can't really buy into anything they say leading up to the draft <laughs> um 
everything's going to be, you know, kind of smoke and mirrors and, and they're, they're not really going to offer too much insight into who they're going to take and how they really feel about the roster because I'll be honest, I, I didn't think they would take cornerback anywhere near, you know, the, the early mid rounds. You know, I thought maybe taking, you know, taking uh, Prince Charles at war in the, in the seventh round makes sense, but I didn't think they were going to take, take, address the secondary at all in the third and fourth round, which they did. So that was surprising to me. Um, yeah, the thing with the, the corners, the way they drafted both of them back-to-back in the third and fourth rounds, Robinson in the fourth round, there were still a lot of players on the board at other positions. And that's where things were, were really started to get curious for me with what uh, what direction Balky was going with this draft because there were still some players at other positions, even some other offensive linemen and uh, running backs especially. Uh, it was kind of before the big run on running backs had gone. Just kind of surprised to see them take the, the corners back-to-back, especially with one of the guys with the, with some major character concerns. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought the fourth round would have been a good time for them to get a cornerback. Uh, sorry, a running back, particularly with with what they know about you know Carlos Hyde and, and his impact on the offense when he's not available. Um, you know, Kenneth Dixon I thought would have been a great pick, and and he went the, to the Ravens 36 overall uh, right after the 49ers took Robinson, and then Dak Prescott. You know, to the Cowboys, a pick later would have made sense. Devontae Booker, the very next pick, also would have made sense. So the value would have lined up. And even in the third round, talking about Redmond, I mean, I was a little bit surprised that Trent Baalke didn't trade back once in this draft. Um, And, you know, particularly to to take a guy like Redmond, and I don't know how long he would have been on the board, but you look – you look later in the round and you could find guys – I mentioned Chile Calhoun earlier. You know, there there were guys – like that of that ilk, whether it be an inside linebacker or a running back or a receiver, that, that would have made more sense. And they, they probably could have traded back and, and acquired a couple more picks, some, some more late-round picks, um, to do so and, and address more pressing needs than, than Will Redmond does. So it's, it's certainly questionable. I, I do think Ronald Blair is a good player. I think you know their first two picks in Buckner and Garnett, um, I think those are going to pay off right away. Uh, you can question you know, whether or not they should have moved back into the first round for Garnett. I think that's a valid question. Yeah. Um, but it's it's an interesting draft, and, and it, we'll, we'll see what the ramifications are, both for, for the roster and, and for Balky in the long run. I in That first round, with the way that late in the week, how all the Jack knee rumors sort of got worse and worse leading up to draft day, and then obviously the just the completely insane Laramie Tutsil video that they got tweeted out right before the draft started, I, it would have been really interesting to me if DeForest Buckner wasn't on the board at seven, what direction they would have gone. If Laramie Tunsil was a guy they completely would have taken off the board in that case. Yeah, I, I think they would have traded back, um, depending if, if Ronnie Stanley was available or not. I, I think I think Ronnie Stanley probably made the most sense for them from the standpoint of he addresses an immediate need. He could start right away. Um, he fulfills a long-term need. And he might have been the best player on the board, considering how good he is, uh, you know, as a pass blocker and how mobile he is, which would which would fit well with, within Chip Kelly's offense. Um, the Tunzel thing is definitely interesting. If if that didn't happen and and he didn't get past Baltimore, uh, and Stanley was still on the board, I'm I'm very curious to see if if the Niners would have taken Stanley over Buckner. I think they would have, um, but that's one of those things that we're never going to know. Right. Um, but Buckner's Buckner's an interesting guy. He could be he could be Justin Smith, or you know, we'll see how it goes. Taking taking a three four 
defensive end who's, who's going to play four and five technique most of the time and, and not on the edge. With that early, with a seventh overall pick, he better be a really, really good player for a long time. Otherwise, it's it's a little bit difficult to find value there with that pick. But uh, maybe, you know, he's a disruptive force that, you know, Justin Smith was when, when they were competing and with, with one of the elite defenses in the NFL. We'll see. A lot of people were talking about Buckner going really early, even as high as number three in the draft. And I was thinking the same thing. Like you don't take a 3-4 defensive end that early because they just don't usually, with you know, with some very few exceptions like J.J. Watt and, and Justin Smith, they don't disrupt the offense enough to warrant that high of a pick, especially when you can grab a franchise tackle or you can get you know an edge rusher like Bosa. That's why Bosa was really a lot higher on my list than a lot of other people I heard talking about the 49ers because you know, if you can get an elite edge rusher, I mean, you just do it every time. And so I wasn't that shocked when uh, when actually he went number three overall. But Buckner, I, I like Buckner a lot. He's He played so many snaps, and he comes with such a high motor, and he's just he gets after it on every play. I just worry a little bit about how well he holds up against the run because he can be, even one-on-ones when he took on uh, Jack Conklin, that Michigan State game. Conklin, that was a decisive victory for Conklin over Buckner. Um, and Buckner had a few plays where, where he definitely won, but overall that was Conklin's matchup, and uh, he was able to get under Buckner and, and pull him out of the play quite a few times. Yeah, I watched that game too right before the draft, and, and you know, going back to the Tunzel scenario, you know, if the Titans taking Conklin at eight, you wonder if if Tunzel hadn't had that video surface and, and he went earlier, if the Niners would have maybe traded back or stood pat to take Conklin, because to me, you, you look at Conklin and, and you know, you, you talk about how right tackles t- typically aren't as athletic as left tackles. Well, the knock on Conklin as a left tackle is, is his overall athleticism. While he's, you know, he's a good player, he's productive, he's productive in school, but he would be a perfect right tackle for the 49ers, in my opinion. And so you wonder, you know, if Stanley and Tunzel were both off the board uh, when the 49ers picked, if, if they would have, if, you know, if they could have gotten a second-round pick for moving back a few slots and, and landing Conklin, I think that would have been a win, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on Bosa, too, and not only as an Ohio State grad, but, you know, I think he – I went back and, and watched Justin Smith get drafted, and, and they were very similar players um, coming out, you know, size-wise, and they both played in a 4-3 as an end and, and ended up switching inside to a 4-5 and five technique in, in, the, in a 3-4. Um, I think Bosa would have been a great pick for the 49ers if he was available too. Obviously, going three, that wasn't going to happen. But yeah, it's it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how this works out. I'm, I'm very curious. You mentioned before about it's really hard to read into what uh, Balky and Chip Kelly are going to say before the draft. Uh, but the one thing that they weren't lying about is that they want to run the ball. You know, if you're going to trade into the first round, first of all, not many guards get selected in the first round to trade up for a guy who's all about run blocking might have some issues pass blocking that's a ballsy move that really shows you that they they do want to pound the rock a little bit yeah and they love josh garnett they they loved him at the pro day um he participated in drills when he didn't necessarily have to um and and i think there was a legitimate fear that they thought the, Se- the seahawks were going to take him with uh, the 29th pick after after trading with denver i think that was kind of the 49ers thinking was, well, we, we need a guard. We really like this guy, you know, in terms of everything he brings off the field. Um, you know, he's a, he's a super intelligent guy. He's graduating from Stanford. 
Um, he's just a guy the 49ers really wanted to have on their team. Uh, you know, not only being an, an elite run run blocker, but just being a guy they want, a, a character type guy that, that they want to infuse into the locker room. Um, because there isn't, outside of Joe Staley and now with Alex Boongon, there isn't a ton of leadership on that offensive line. And, um, and I think they look at Garnett is a guy who could do that. Now, whether or not they re-sign him beyond, you know, though I, I assume you know, as of right now they'll pick up that fifth-year option because he was a first-round pick. Whether or not they give him the money that it'll probably take for, for a high-level guard uh, looking for that second contract, that remains to be seen. But they really like Garnett, and, and he fits with the, the exact type of player that they want uh, to have in that locker room. Now, whether or not he can he can be a good pass blocker kind of remains to be seen, but I think I don't I don't see the quarterback in, in Chip, Chip Kelly's offense standing back there taking five step drops, really relying on his pass protection a whole lot. Um, I think a lot of the stuff is going to be kind of predetermined, and I think the field's going to be cut in half, and I think the quarterback's going to be getting rid of the ball quickly. So I don't imagine that that's a, uh, a huge concern in, in terms of Garnett's pass blocking, but um, it's definitely an interesting pick, and, and it addresses a huge need. And, and I'm curious to see, you know, I asked Chip Kelly who's going to play left guard and who's going to play right guard after acquiring the Beatles. I kind of think that Garnett's going to play on the left side and, and Beatles will switch over to the right side. I, I think of Mikey Potty when, when I think of Josh Garnett and, uh, and, and watching him, you know, as a pulling guard in, in those power schemes that Stanford was running. Um, that's what I think of. So I don't know how if, if he would play right guard or not. I think Beatles might, because he's a little bit more nimble, might transfer, might you know his his skill set might transfer over to the right side. But that's another thing. I mean, the good thing about this year, and as as you know, the prognosis for the 49ers season isn't isn't great. There there's going to be a ton of stuff to talk about in training camp, and uh, and the, the the guard situation is definitely one of them. So. Um, they'll they'll keep us busy heading into uh, heading into the summer for sure. Absolutely, it, one, and I'm glad you mentioned the fifth year option because I mean it seems like a really great strategy almost every year. If you can get from the second round back into the end of the first round and not give up a ton, just the fact that if you get the same player you would have taken in the second round anyway, uh, that that fifth year option is really valuable if you draft a good player that is that is going to get a, a big second contract. Yeah, I agree, and uh, and you saw it just last week with Eric Reed um, picking up his fifth year option. It just gives you flexibility, and um, and it's it's not at an exorbitant rate. You're not overpaying these guys. You're you're paying just about what they're worth on the open market, which which, or I should say, you're paying a little bit less than what they would get on the open market. I would bet if Eric Reed hit the open market next year and the 49ers didn't pick up his option, he would get considerably more than he was worth um not that he's a bad player but that's just how free agency works and that's why the 49ers decided not to sign any of those pricey free agents this this spring whether or not that's a good decision remains to be seen given all the cash space that they have but um but yeah it's a super valuable tool the 50 option and it makes sense you know that's that's a like you mentioned it's if you can move back into the first round and, and not mortgage the farm and get a player you really want to have for, for five years, it, it makes plenty of sense. And, and Josh Garnett definitely seems like one of those guys. Hey, Chris, one more quick question before you go. I want to ask you about the wide receiver situation because, uh, shockingly, they waited till the sixth round. They got Aaron Burbridge out of Michigan State. You know, not big, not fast, small hands, but he had some production in his senior year there at Michigan State. 
But do you get a sense being around the team that they have really, really high hopes for guys like uh, Smelter and uh, Rogers, who they brought in from the CFL? Yeah, it seems like it. Um, Rogers is definitely an interesting guy. He's listed at six three, but he looks closer to six four, six five. He's he's way bigger than than the other receivers on the roster right now. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm. I'm a little curious as to why they didn't draft a receiver early. I, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they had planned on it, and then moving ahead to get Garnett kind of foiled that that idea. Um, you know, you you look at Trent Baalke, what he's done in the past. If he's had a glaring need in terms of finding you know, a, a glaring need in the starting lineup in terms of someone leaving in free agency, like Anquan Bolden will probably do. He's, he's gone ahead and, and taken somebody that fills that need early on, whether it be Eric Reed replacing Sean Goldson. Um, you know, there are other examples. Alden Smith, while he didn't start, he filled that pass rushing void that they needed pretty badly in the first round in his draft. So I was expecting them to take a wide receiver early to, to compete for that number two job right away because, you know, there's, there's nothing really that's happened in Quentin Patton's career, Bruce Ellington's career, that says, you feel comfortable with them being your number two receiver heading into the season. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, De- DeAndre Smelter is, is a super interesting player, and you wonder where he would have gotten drafted if he had been healthy uh, when he came out two years ago. Because he's a big physical guy, he has enormous hands. Um, he produced in a system that was not receiver-friendly at all at Georgia Tech running that triple option. And, and you look at... You know, the receivers at Georgia Tech has pumped out, whether it be Demarius Thomas or Calvin Johnson. I mean, he, I don't want to say, I don't want to put him in that class, but just, you know, that they, for, for whatever reason, Georgia Tech within that offense pushes out receivers. So you, you're curious about uh, Smelter for, for those reasons, and you're curious about Rodgers from, from a size and athleticism standpoint. Um, but everyone else, they, there, there isn't really anyone that screams you know, potential number two receiver. And I think Burbridge is interesting because he was so productive. And he, he was, you know, I think he was a team captain with Michigan State on a really good team that, that played in the college football playoffs. Um, so while he doesn't have elite uh, elite traits, I mean, he's not slow. He ran a 4-5. Um, he's not small. He's, he's six foot, six foot one. Um, he, he had a 1,200-yard season. He played on a good team. He makes a lot of competitive catches. Um, you know, with which you could say makes up for his small hands, I guess. But mm-hmm. he's a guy that potentially could be, uh, you know, a number two receiver. And it wouldn't really surprise me at all if he if he earned a lot of playing time this year as a rookie, just because these other guys haven't really done much to stand out. And you know, Bruce Ellington's versatility is interesting. At, you know, maybe as a running back, definitely from the slot. But you wonder really, what is he a lead at anything? Is he a matchup problem for anybody? Uh, we haven't seen that. The same for Quentin Patton. What's what's Patton really good at? We we don't really know, and, and we're you know we're in, in his in his fourth year now. So um, so there's definitely going to be a wide open competition there. Uh, I don't know if Jerome Simpson is long for this team. I, I I just don't really see where he fits in with Chip Kelly's whole mantra and, and buying into the program. And and I know the 49ers want to give these young guys a chance. So I don't really see how Jerome Simpson fits in. Maybe I'll maybe I'm wrong. Receivers, the number two receiver job has got to be the most wide open spot on the roster, and uh, and it's interesting because there's no clear cut option. Um, it's a lot of young guys, a lot of differing skill sets. 
and Chip Kelly is going to have to get creative in, in filling that void. And you wonder if it's going to be a, a rotation by committee because there's so many different skill sets or if they're going to find one guy and stick him out there for the majority of the time. So um, that's definitely going to be the most intriguing uh, battle in, in training camp for, for my money. Absolutely. That's the wide receiver position. That's going to be fun to watch. There he is, Chris Biederman. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Biederman or check into NinersWire.USAToday.com and uh, get all your 49ers news there. Chris, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, training camp. I forgot training camp's coming up. That might be uh, the next time we get back together is to talk yeah. some training camp stuff. This is kind of the dead period coming up here in the NFL offseason. Yeah, watch other sports or something. <laughs> yeah, there's some baseball. There's, some, there's a lot of playoffs <laughs> happening in the Bay Area right now. That's very true. Sharks and Warriors going strong. Uh, yeah, we got we got stuff to do, I suppose. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So hey, before we before we get any further, I yeah. I'd love to uh, to pimp you out for a second, if you don't mind. Um, LeadingTheLeague.com. Yeah, of course. Uh, you 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 mentioned it many times on this show. Uh, you do a shadow draft, and this was actually the first one of yours that I actually uh, got to kind of pay attention to it and see what you were doing. And everybody out there should really check it out because you break down each pick where you would go with the pick and then what the Niners did and you break down both picks. And what's nice is that as you're going along, you're constantly picking based on what you have done, not what the Niners have done in their current draft, which I think is is fantastic. And real quick, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the things you do in it too, is I love how you call out bulky, like his current (laughs) picks with like your past shadow draft picks. You're like, well, if you drafted this guy that I mentioned last year, exactly. Well, I, I already drafted two starting corners. Right. So he didn't need to go there in the third and fourth round. Then where could he have gone <laughs> instead? Yeah, so it's really fun because obviously one draft pick all of a sudden changes everything. Yeah, of and course. it's like the butterfly effect when it comes to the draft. And I, the reason I started doing this is more for posterity than anything. I want to remember the guys I liked. you know. Right. So it's, it's a good way for me to just to go through and kind of have my thoughts on the draft as it happens. Because, you know, so many people, so many fans, even people in the media will rip a GM for his bad drafts or his mistakes in the draft oh look who went two picks later right but for me it's like well i don't care who went two picks later who would i have actually picked on the clock the one guy because you only get one shot right gms only get one chance to make a pick and it's it's not that easy easy to look back and be like oh yeah you should have done that but would you have ever right exactly exactly it's like saying oh i would have drafted tom brady in the sixth round no you wouldn't Right. You would have blown that pick. You know, that's just that's the way it goes. And so you can't, so that drives me crazy when fans do that. So that also coupled with the fact that the 49ers completely blew the 2012 draft. Right. And I was thinking, oh, my God, okay, I've got to do this because I want this is something I wanted to do anyways. Like I could throw a dartboard at the 2012 draft and probably come up with something as bad or much better. Right. right. Probably if you, better. If one yeah. of those players, if, if you hit one player in that draft and you're looking so much better. Than bulky in the 49ers. The 2012 draft is one of the worst drafts in the history of the world. Yeah, but, period. Right. So uh, in 2013 is when I started doing this. And it's it's just really fun to look back to and sort of grade yourself mm-hmm. and see how you did and you know be like, hey, you know, I kind of I'm hanging, I'm hanging in there with with Balky and the gang. And, yeah, there's a future in this for you, kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not that I think they're ever gonna see this and be like, oh, we should hire this guy. It's just more right. like, yeah, you know, I followed <laughs> the draft. Assistant. So <laughs> Yeah, I follow the draft, so let's 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 see if I do know as much. And, and it's really like I, I I only draft when they're on the clock, and mm-hmm. and it really puts into perspective how hard it is because I miss on a lot of picks, right? Uh, sure, you, sure. But you also see how 
good you can be. And I, 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 my drafts really stand up, I think, to Trent Baalke's drafts, which is kind of surprising. <laughs> uh, but based on when I started, I didn't think that was necessarily going to be the case. But I, I, to be honest with you, I would 100% take all of my picks over all of the 49ers picks, even though you really start to love and, and like and enjoy rooting for some of the guys who are 49ers. Right. That's probably the biggest thing. As soon as someone becomes a 49ers, you see him in the uniform, you think, oh, man. My guy. I, I wouldn't have Carlos Hyde on my roster. You know, because they would have drafted right. somebody else, and you know, because you, you like these players, you know. Of course. So, so that's that's a tough aspect of it too. If if it actually did happen a different way, but yeah. So well, let's. I want to start with what Trent Balky had to say on a couple of picks, especially, and then we'll get into a little bit of how I felt about the draft. This is Trent on uh, the first pick, DeForest Buckner. I mean, what what's there not to like? Uh, awfully good football player, excellent fit, high character guy. Um, great working knowledge of him. Simply, uh, you know, our coaches, current coaches, recruited him, know him well, know his family well. Uh, a guy that plays a high percentage of downs at the collegiate level. Yeah, you look at most of these guys uh, coming out, uh, D linemen, they play 50, 60 percent of the snaps. The force the last two years has played plus 80, and uh, production, you know, a lot of production. 81 tackles, 36 unassisted. Nine sacks. You know, there's there's a lot to like. So yeah, with with DeForest Buckner at that point, he was the cleanest player. And even right. though I think on the field, what you saw from Miles Jack, what you saw from Laramie Tunsil, they were rated higher to me on my quote unquote board. I had those players higher, but at this point, just he was clean, he was productive, and and Balky said, all right, there's so much production from a guy on the interior. So it really the thing that that jumps out if you watch any DeForest Buckner tape. It's the effort he gives. Mm-hmm. And he played more snaps than any defensive lineman in college football last year. And he's just coming, and he's coming, and he's coming. And that's where a lot of his production comes from because he's so long, he's so good with his hands. He just keeps coming. And even when he gets beat and gets initially blocked, he fights through it, and he keeps fighting off that block, and he comes back and, and can still make a play. So I really like DeForest Buckner. I think he's going to be a really good 49er. He has to get you a little know, bit stronger versus the run, though. Yeah, you know, I, I like the pick, too, but at the same time, I happen to be, you know, tuning in at that time. And I saw that Tunsil was still on the board, and I saw what was happening. And yeah, yeah that was that was some messed up stuff. But that at the same nuts. time, I felt like Balky pushed out like that. That was <laughs> he's probably the, he could have been the number one pick in this draft. Yeah. You, you have the w- worst offensive line. I mean, Eric Pierce, come on, that guy started how many games last year for this football team, and you're going to pass up on the best offensive lineman in this because somebody in his camp screwed him. You know, I mean, right. yeah, it was it was a little weird. The gas mask, you know, and the you know what what was probably marijuana in there, and then you know the so. the, the post uh, of uh, him asking for money and this and that. But these are two things that everyone knows that everyone does in yeah. college football. And the, mm-hmm. this kid, they they saw it happening and they pushed out. And I that I didn't like that at all. That really made me mad. And you know what? Before we go any further, like this totally sums up that kind of thing to me. Is it was a quote from your shadow draft and you said yes. i've been swinging for the fences with my wide receiver running back selections looks like balky's trying to hit doubles and i feel like with the entire draft he wasn't even trying to hit doubles he was just trying not to strike out yeah he was bunting into yeah the he was just trying to make contact yeah. like it, it pissed me off <laughs> yeah and like i said before it's hard because you don't sometimes you don't know the guys and and, and once you start seeing them on the field you're like oh man i like this guy you know so it, it's really hard you can't get you don't get to take all 300 yeah, draft eligible players. You know all the guys in the combine. You don't get to take them all. You only get a handful. So 
Uh, this is the handful that the 49ers got. And But I, I kind of agree. I think there's two points to that with Tunsil. And I think the number one point is that it happened so soon before the draft yeah. that I don't know if a lot of teams early that were picking early had time to really figure out what was going on and sort of they didn't have a chance to to decide whether it was okay or not, you know? Yeah. Because they're like scrambling, they trying to figure out what the heck, what's happening right now? Did he just did he just tweet this? Like, is that how stupid this guy is? You know, if he tweeted, if he was like, literally, he did that earlier that day and smoked it and then tweeted it out, just like, hey, hey guys, check this out. I'm going to make an awesome tweet right now before the draft. You you don't want someone that stupid on your team, right? This is how so, good I am. I can do this and still get drafted in the first round. Yeah, exactly. So you don't, you, you don't want a guy that dumb on your team. So you have to figure out what the heck actually happened, you know? And then uh, now it's a lot easier to say, okay, this happened a few years ago and and whatever. But the second part is there was already uh, some whispers of red flags around him. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the only reason why teams weren't completely sold on him as uh, one of the number one players in the draft. And uh, you heard about the incident with Robert Kimdichie, his teammate, how he fell through a window in Atlanta, I think it was, or something like that. And yeah, the possession of marijuana. Right. Yeah. And and Kimdichie is the one that got busted for it. But Kimdichie told all the NFL people at the combine when he was in meetings that uh, Tunsil was there with him, you know, so Tunsil was part of that whole party. And, you know, that was, that was this year. That wasn't that long ago. So there was already people a little bit worried about Tunsil thinking, uh, is his head screwed on completely straight? Um, He never quite played a full season in college football. He he got hurt a couple times. So he wasn't just a completely 100% clean player before that happened. And you throw that on top of it. I think teams were like, well, we have another really good option to take instead, so let's take that option. Then once it well, got like some, you said, it, it was the clean pick. It was the safe pick. Right. And once you get to Miami at 13, they're like, well, we don't have another great option, right. so now we're going to take him. So I think he he fell to the spot where he kind of had to. After Buckner, uh, I was I was kind of just going over all of, of your kind of grading of the 49er picks. I didn't really see you like anyone until Ronald, Ronald Blair there in the fifth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've disagreed with Balky quite a bit in the past, and, and the Josh Garnett trade – I like Garnett as a player, and I was thinking, you know, second round, maybe even the third round. Um, he's a little bit one-dimensional as a run blocker. And I, first of all, you you drafted, you traded up to get a guard, which is uncommon. Super sexy. Yeah, obviously we mentioned this a little bit with uh, with Biederman. You, you, it's uncommon to trade up for a guard and then for a to draft an offensive lineman period in the first round that's not his strength isn't necessarily pass blocking. Right. You know, I mean, the name of the game is keeping your quarterback clean. So that was, it's hard to be really, really on board with that trade. But obviously, as we heard that that Chip and Trent really loved Josh Garnett and they want to run the ball and they wanted that physical presence inside. So we're going to take him in the second round anyway. Whatever you, you have a ton of picks. You gave up a couple of late picks and you move up and you get an extra year. You get that fifth option year for a player. So if he hits, good. Uh, but that's really when we look back on this draft in three years, it's that Garnett pick. Um, yeah. If they traded into the first round for a guard and he turns out to be mediocre, um, that's you know it, it's hard to really grade that draft highly. Um, and Miles Jack is an All Pro, right? Linebacker. If Jack becomes an All Pro player, who I <laughs> took with this, you know, and that's and that's one of the things like with me, and it happened last year. My shadow draft, I drafted uh, JHI in mm-hmm. the third round, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's a beast of a running back here in the third round. I'm going to totally take him. 
and he fell to the fifth round. And it turns out he had bone on bone in his knee, and it's something that I didn't know about, you know. But you hear right. it afterwards, you're like, oh, all the, you know, everything's hush hush. And with Miles Jack, it's like I'm not a doctor, and I didn't get to look at his knee anyway, so I get to go by his reports. I saw some clips of him working out. He looked like he was moving really well, and based on what I saw from him, he looks like he's going to be ready to go. And he was a freaking beast in college. So that's all the information I have to go on. So I'm like, you know, whatever. Give me Miles Jack. I'll swing for the fences. Uh, and Balky can, you know, swing for his doubles. And yeah. and we'll see, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens in the end. But, um, yeah, Gar- it's, Gar- it's going to come so much down to Garnett in this draft. And then things really got really weird after that. And I actually have a quote from Balky here uh, talking about the third-round pick, cornerback Will Redmond. Had them valued higher than where we took them, and uh, you know there's risk in all this, as we know. The injury uh, it was a was a, a very standard procedure. All right, he's uh, he's a, he's a, on schedule to slightly ahead of schedule. We've had a lot of contact with this young man. We know who did the surgery. Uh, we also know where he's rehabbing and who's rehabbing him. We brought him in for one of the 30 visits. We were just back in Indianapolis before the draft for the uh, for the recheck. Very comfortable with where he's at and very comfortable that he'll be ready to go come training camp. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't have Will Redmond on my radar at all for the 49ers to be taken that high. He's someone that had that ACL injury, I believe, in October. Uh, but you heard Trent right there say he, they know the doctors. They, they went to the rehab facility. They know all about his rehab and how he's doing. They expect him to be ready, possibly ready to go to start the season. Um, and the one thing I'll say to that is we've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, this is this was not a surprising pick to me whatsoever because this is what Balky does. He takes these guys that, you know, are injured, which is why shocked, I was shocked why he didn't get Miles Jack. Like, that seemed like the perfect yeah. prototypical. Even at seven, I was thinking, oh, man, this is the guy. I mean, if anybody, Balky's the guy to be like, whatever, we're just going to take this guy at number seven. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, and with this guy, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, injured guy, sure. Third-round pick. Okay, that's <laughs> to, about right. To be honest with you, the 49ers not taking Jack at seven really frightened me. Like, really made me, okay, he's got a serious injury. If the 49ers right. aren't going to take him, then you know that he's got a bad <laughs> knee. You know, that's that's the thing that worried me the most, and to see him fall that far when he was obviously the best player <laughs> and see teams keep passing on him. Uh, yeah, but yeah, back to Will Redmond. I went back and watched more of his his tape because I wanted to see you know what he was all about, and yeah, I he's not big at all, right? Uh, which also that which doesn't quite fit Balky's profile. Usually he likes the bigger guys more, but man, man, is he quick? Uh, he's got a crazy burst, uh, great feet, so short area quickness. He's he looks like an obvious you know undersized slot type corner, and right. as we talked about earlier on the show, sub package is the new base package. So you're gonna have three corners out there at all time. You're gonna have pass rushers, um, and you need guys that can cover. And it sounds to me like they want to maybe move Ward off of that slot position eventually mm-hmm. and have him be one of the starting safeties. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. They obviously, like you mentioned, don't love their cornerbacks when you're going to draft you know, a guy in the third and then yeah. come right back in the fourth and, and take another cornerback, a guy who didn't even play football last year. The, the fourth round, that's where I started to – just be like okay what this is not this is not going right because there's too many other players <laughs> at too many other positions to take a guy with bad character uh this guy's 6'1 170 pounds 171 he weighed at the combine wow and it's funny one of the i don't remember which website it was maybe nfl.com where i was tracking the draft and, and their scouting report on robinson said uh that it looks like he's skipped leg day for a few years <laughs> <laughs> and so nice. you're, you're talking about a player who 
who got suspended from his team, has a bad work ethic, and it, I just that sounds like someone that you don't even draft. Period. Let alone in the right. fourth round when you have these other needs and you just took a corner. That was that was definitely for me the most surprising pick of the draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it goes right along with that. You know, if you're going to take a chance on a guy like this after you just drafted a cornerback, like, why would you not take a chance on Tunsil like, in the first round? I mean, I get what you're saying. You know, yeah, they they probably didn't fully understand what was happening at the time, but this this was a horrible pick to me. And, and again, we we could be way off. I mean, this guy could be fantastic. We never met this guy. You know, I I haven't seen any film on this guy. Uh, and maybe he spent his his year off getting better. I mean, and the, the 49ers obviously see something in this guy and in Redmond and and just in their defensive backfield that they felt they needed to bring in a, a bunch of guys and and they probably do. I mean, Chip Kelly's offense is all about speed and it's all about you know getting getting to the line quickly and so you got to have a, a defense that can handle that that can then can put up with that kind of thing and so yeah they'll probably be running a lot of nickel and dime stuff right yeah and, and a lot of man defense obviously if yeah they, they've been doing a lot of zone stuff in the past and, and some bigger guys that maybe don't aren't quite as as uh tight and sticky in coverage uh you can get away with especially if you have a great pass rush uh you start you start to see the pass rush wane a little bit last year and so things got a little bit more difficult for the guys on the back end so it looks like they're going to try to tighten that up in the in their going to try to at least create some competition and develop some, uh, you know, cover corners. Yeah. And you, you, let's talk about Blair. Cause I, I know you liked him. I've, I've read a bunch of stuff that he was one of Balky's personal favorite guys, you know, just, just meeting him. Um, so th- this, to me, this seemed like a good, uh, a good move for them, another defensive lineman, but that that's an area of big concern as well for yeah. the 49ers. It looks like they kind of bypassed the outside pass rush and edge players and try right. to get some interior guys. He's basically a smaller version of what you have in DeForest Buckner. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of effort and a lot of production from someone who rushed from primarily the inside, and that's probably what he'll do in the pros. I and mean, he might even be—he's he, not that big. He might even play a little bit of an outside rusher in a four-man front when they go to the nickel. So he could probably move around inside, outside, and line up in a lot of spots. But a lot of hustle, a lot of try hard. He's not a supremely uh, big or gifted athlete. He doesn't beat you with with quickness. He doesn't beat you with uh, size and pure strength or anything like that. But he's just. He's a tough football player and a fun fun player to watch. He'll, he's a really good uh, rotational guy, I think, on the defensive line. Probably stick around for a while and uh, be a fun player to watch. You know, uh, just to jump off topic for a second here, the undrafted free agents, uh, uh, <laughs> I think it's amazing that they went and got Balducci as well from Oregon. So they've got like, three <laughs> starting ducks. Yes, yeah, they, their whole starting lineup from yeah. 2014, the, the nose amazing. in Balducci and, and obviously Buckner and Armstead on the outside. I love it. I love it. I love, you know, I, I love what where they're going right now with with uh, with these defensive picks, because obviously, you know, they were garbage last year on defense. There was just no doubt about it. It was brutal to watch. Uh, it's such you just a hope that, stark contrast to see what they were yeah, at their height. And such a fall off for yeah. being the best. Oh, absolutely. Being, yeah. <laughs> the way they played, the way they had attacked and just yeah. how brutal sometimes those games were against like the Seahawks and the Cardinals. I mean, I agree. They're, 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 they obviously tried to fix the cornerback position, and they tried to fix the offensive line in this draft uh, by using six total picks on those two positions. Yeah, I mean, we, we go into it now, two fifth-round picks uh, with, the, with the pair of tackles. You know, I, I don't know of anyone who's really that excited about it. I get it. It's depth. You know, and that, that's definitely a place where they were very thin uh, last year. But you, you, I don't see – either one of these guys having any shot at starting, right? I mean, 
Well, when Unless it comes, they just come in and destroy it. Like you said, it, it's depth, and it's okay to be looking for depth as, if that's all you need there. But I think there was just better players at other positions, and I, there's guys that could have contributed at other positions rather than just a, a depth guy. Um, yeah, but if these guys mean that we can get rid of like Martin and Debbie and Piers, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and that's and I, I'm pretty sure that's what that means is is right. there's enough guys around and enough competition. And I also wonder how many of these guys are going to come down with some kind of phantom injury and be put yeah. on IR for the year and then, you know, be yeah, someone no who comes back it. next oh, year. Oh, stress fracture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, turf toe. Nobody knows what that is anyways. <laughs> we'll just put that down. How do you feel about Driscoll? Oh, man, Driscoll, I don't know why we didn't mention Driscoll. I don't know why we're surprised that, that he was a pick there at all because he obviously fits just from a, you know, height, weight, speed perspective. The best the best uh, 40 time from quarterbacks at the combine. But what I'll say about Driscoll, the, the one thing I don't like about him is he was a top recruit coming out and he just, he couldn't even win a job in college. He, you know, he could, right. he, 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 he won a job, but he couldn't keep a starting job at Florida transferred to Louisiana tech, had a better year as a senior. I just see an underachiever there and mm-hmm. I want the opposite for my quarterback. I'd rather have a quarterback that's not as fast, not as strong of an arm, but that just wins and just, it just has yeah. some instincts about him. Now, I think Driscoll's kind of the opposite, and we'll see what happens in the pros. I mean, he's a six-round pick, so I'm definitely not going to hate on that pick at all because he right. has uh, talent and he has tools to work with. So we'll see if Chip can get it out of him. And if he doesn't, it's no big deal. It's a six-round pick, and you move on. You draft some quarterbacks later. But um, he, he's not as fast. He doesn't play as fast on the field as a runner as his 4-5. I think he ran high-mid 4-5s, which is faster than Cap, faster than uh, Gabbard, obviously, faster than a lot of quarterbacks. Um, but he doesn't run. I mean, he's nowhere near as good of a runner as Cap is, and, and you know he's probably more like Gabbert as far as runner. Like occasionally you'll see him break off a run where the his opposing defense in college was like, oh, he just took it a long ways on us. What the heck? Like they kind of weren't expecting that kind of <laughs> speed once he had an open lane up the middle, but a little right. bit straight line-ish. Not so much if it's just like a really good runner of the football. The other thing is is just his deep. He's got a decent enough arm, and, and he, he looks good. You know, he drops back and has a good clean release. The ball comes out of his hand. He just the number one thing that Chip Kelly talks about in his quarterbacks is repetitive accuracy. And right. Driscoll didn't have that. He missed a lot of guys, even just even when he made completions, kind of hitting guys in the wrong shoulder, you know, yeah. um, and and things like that. And he just d- deep downfield wasn't a good passer. So yeah, that's, stuff that's you might get away with in college, right? But in the pros, you're going to pay for. Yeah, you'll just see a pass and be like, well, "How did you miss that pass? Clean pocket, footwork right. was good, release looked good, and you just didn't throw an accurate pass. I don't know why." So how do you feel? I mean, the, the 49ers here in the sixth round went with, you know, the the money positions, the the sexy picks. They went quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Do you, do you like, you know, either Burbridge or, or Taylor at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with where they were drafted. I would have mm-hmm. rather have taken those positions earlier instead of one right. of the tackles or one of the corners. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I have an issue with. But these, I mean, I don't have a problem with Taylor. There was a ton of running backs, I think, that were better, and they all kind of went off the board in that fourth, fifth round range. Uh, and right. even early sixth, so that's where I would say just just the placement of where they took the players. But you know, Kelvin Taylor's good. He's Fred Taylor's kid, and he has great feet, great vision. But he doesn't he doesn't have any power to push the pile. Doesn't have any top end speed. Um, didn't do a lot in the passing game. So when you consider all those factors, you know, he just seems like another guy that they kind of already have. But he's also got the, the, those the, just having great feet and having good vision. Is pretty important for running back, right? So that's sure. If someone's going to surprise, th- those are good attributes to have as a running back. But I'm not expecting a ton from from Kelvin Taylor, Aaron Burbridge. Kind of a similar thing. The, 
in both of those guys got productive players that have some attributes that are that are tough that know how to play football but but don't wow you in any one aspect. Burbage had the smallest hands of the combine um, and had some drops in previous seasons, but he had a really good senior year at Michigan State. He was Connor Cook's number one receiver there, twelve hundred plus yards. Um, and and I think what Chip Kelly said about him and probably what he loved about him is he was tough and made a lot of catches over the middle, mm. uh, made a lot of contested catches even though he's not necessarily bigger or faster than anybody. So that that's good. So he he might be another player like Taylor that can kind of um, that can over out, outproduce what you would think his. Uh, based on his measurables. All right. And Prince Charles, I love that pick too. <laughs> Besides the name being awesome, uh, yeah. one of the one of the games I graded at Pro Football Focus was uh, Western Kentucky and LSU. So they're obviously Western Kentucky's majorly outmanned by an LSU team, but he really stuck out. I was like, who's this guy? And to be honest with you, I didn't at the time I didn't realize he was a senior and going to be in the draft. Uh, but really fast. He's not very big, five nine, five ten maybe. Uh, but really fast, and he was good in coverage. Um, he, he really stuck out to me on that Western Kentucky team. So, so as a seventh-round pick, I like Prince Charles. I love the name too, man. I'm on board. Obviously, 4-3 speed is always fun, right? You're like, okay. Oh, yeah. Special teams guy, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely be a gunner on special teams and then and hope he develops as a cover corner as well. We got some phone stuff? I uh, do. We do have a couple of <laughs> a couple of phone calls that I don't uh, – see, I on Twitter I put out a, a question that I wanted to hear from some people that really liked the draft because, you know, obviously – I do the, the shadow draft, and, and I always see things differently, so that's not me completely killing Balky or anything, but our calls are both kind of anti the draft. They, they didn't <laughs> care for it. Um, and But so after after the calls, I want to go back to Twitter because we have some uh, some other takes there. But let's start off with our, our favorite caller, our most common caller, Big Dog out of Sacramento. Can I get a, a what's up, Big Dog? The 2016 NFL Draft has concluded, and I felt like I was watching a bad remake of the never-ending story. I can't remember the last time I had to Google a player's name because I hadn't heard of them, which was the story with Balk's draft selections. Winky P, the gold faithful fan base, demand answers. Is Balky a genius? Is he prepping the 49ers to be positioned in the number one slot in next year's draft? Or is Balky so arrogant that he believes this year's draft class will be a success? Balky sat idle watching decent QB selections go off the board in rounds three and four, only to draft Jeff Driscoll in the sixth. ProFootballReference.com reports since 1970, 80 quarterbacks have been drafted. Of those 80, 30 have never thrown an NFL pass. 45 of them threw less than 50 passes, and 46-round QB selections never made an NFL start. Balky's poor draft selections will continue to plague our gold faithful team. As former WWE John Cena quoted, no one remembers second place. All right, so Big Dog, of course, with his uh, WWE references once again. I don't know why, how that uh, pertains to football. I don't football, understand but... half of the things he says. <laughs> I do like the Winky P. He dropped another one of those, which is nice. Um, Big Dog is upset about not taking a quarterback. I get it. I mean, I understand that, but he, I in the shadow draft, I drafted two quarterbacks. They were both in the sixth and seventh rounds. So to me, I saw Jared Goff as a surefire NFL starter. And I saw a little bit of that in Wentz, but I wasn't as convinced. And as you started going down the list of these quarterbacks, I just I didn't see that in a lot of these guys. And I'd rather, you know, I just didn't see the value of overdrafting any of these players. Now, if you'd have taken Connor Cook in the fourth round, I like that a lot better than if you're taking him at the end of the first round or in the second round, right? So that wouldn't have been a huge deal for me. But I, I just didn't see it with any of these guys, so I'm not worried about it because I, I just don't think he was there. 
And here, here's the thing, too. Let, let's let's be plain for a second. The, the 49ers have two very young, very talented quarterbacks on their roster right now in Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick. You know, the, these are two guys that were drafted extremely high, have both played well in the NFL, and, and you know, we've seen how high Kaepernick can be as well. And I, I don't think this is – I don't think Kaepernick's done, and I don't think they're going to trade him, and I think that he is going to be starting under center – for the 49ers this year. I mean, nothing happened on draft day. I thought for sure he'd be dealt or, you know, or something would happen right before, and, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no reason to believe that he won't be with the 49ers and that why not? Why why not run this Chip Kelly offense? It's worked very well for, for much lesser talent in like Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez and these guys that have performed well in this system. How about a guy that is good, you know, that, that has shown that he can be uh, a, to- a top flight starter in this league you know i i, I think that that this you know the sky's the limits right now for for kaepernick i totally agree not only was the right quarterback not there to draft i don't think also what you just said is, is spot on because gabbert and cap both are probably better than any quarterback that chips had a chance to work with so far what about it and i'm really interested to see how that works and i think they are too and the thinking is, look, we can get all these other positions now, not screw with the quarterback, and really, really find out what we have. And then if these guys aren't the answer, we can go looking again when maybe a better option's there for us to take. Because they have two guys that could be the answer. Why throw a third guy in there, too? You know, it's... And, Yeah, in the competition, to see that go down. And I, I, to be honest with you, I hope it's wide open. Me, I too. I hope they both get a shot. even and wide open and may the best man win. You and know me. I, I'm a Gabbert guy. I've been, I've been in behind him since the beginning. Yeah, and you, your daughter has a cap jersey, so you're you're on both their squads, right? You love them both. Yeah, I was never play. against Kaepernick. He just, you know, he looked bad last year. He looked bad, and the fact that he wanted out was made you be like, yeah, you know what? Okay, get out then. <laughs> you know what? He Natural couldn't response. get out. That contract pretty much said no. Yeah, he. It was pretty obvious he wasn't going to renegotiate or restructure that deal for anybody else. So, okay, you're here. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, you you. You, you can kiss your biceps all you want. Just make sure you make the right throws. You and know, I, that's it. I hate that because he's like, oh, I want to go somewhere else. Like, okay, you know, take a pay cut and go here. Oh, no, 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 no. I want to pick the team I want to go to, and I don't want to take a pay cut. It's like, no, that's not how it works, man. Oh, no, I, yeah. I like Chip Kelly. That he's a good guy. how it works. And, uh, yeah, and then he's like, okay, I get all my money, and I can stay here and, and probably be in a better situation than maybe just getting traded to some weird team that I don't want to go to in some city I don't want to be. So maybe, uh, yeah, if the, Brown- if the Broncos aren't going to trade for me, I kind of like it here. I like Chip. All right, this this offense could work for me. And even if it doesn't and I'm on the sidelines, I'm still getting paid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a very expensive backup if he is a backup. Yeah, and it was a similar imagine. thing with, with uh, Sam Bradford. He's Now he wants to go somewhere else. And, and I hope the thing they is, don't he go would and still be. <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I hope to God they don't. But it's funny because Sam Bradford's, they see him draft a quarterback, so he just sits back and says, oh, well, I lost that battle. Like, he already knows he's not going to win the starting job from a rookie that played in <laughs> Division Two football, right? That's what's hilarious <laughs> to me. He's like, dude, you just made $17 million or whatever it was on that new contract. You're overpaid and yeah. you're almost guaranteed a chance to start again, which you might not ever get again. You're not and going you're, to. Yeah. Unless you, well, I mean, there are a lot of bad quarterbacks out there, teams – Always looking to upgrade. If the Eagles cut Sam Bradford tomorrow, I don't think he would sign for anywhere near the amount of money he got, or he maybe even not even get a starting job. He would be brought in as a backup with the veteran minimum. Right. Right. To, I mean, a backup to, to compete somewhere. 
maybe yeah. not at the veteran minimum. He might get a little bit, but I mean, teams already spent their money. That's what I'm saying. And I, yeah, I don't see the Niners going after him. They've got so, what five quarterbacks right now, anyways. So go out there and compete. Prove <laughs> Win your job. Prove for once, for the first time in your career, that you're an actual good starting quarterback, which he also hasn't done. Right. You know, you were drafted number one and really have been a huge disappointment. So don't forget that fact. And oh then, man, how much money did that guy make too? He was back uh, in that ridiculous right. contract days. Yes. So Sam Bradford, man, figure it out. Pull your head out of your ass. That's what I have to say to him. Uh, so, but back to the big dog's call. I do want to say, I forgot to talk about this last time. This is for the WWE fan and everybody, especially big dog. Have you heard of a guy named Laquan McGowan? He played tight end for Baylor this year. I have not. And he's, <laughs> he's a joining four, the WWE. Yeah. He's a 400 pound tight end. What? Yes. Six, seven, 400 pounds. Uh, he actually caught a couple touchdown passes. I think he actually has three career catches for three touchdowns. <laughs> he's massive. So he's a blocking tight end. Yeah, he's like the extra. He's like not good enough to be a starting offensive lineman, but had some soft hands, you know. So they're he's, like, okay, he's that offensive blocker. lineman that reports as eligible. Right, exactly. And then, but he actually wore like number eighty-five this year or something like that. So he didn't have to report. And nice. uh, yeah, so it was really funny. And uh, but yeah, he didn't get drafted. So his his plan, I think, now is to go in the WWE. So Laquan McGowan, six seven, four hundred pounds. We might be seeing him again on another stage. I'd like to uh, have anyone give us an update about what his wrestling name will be when he does start wrestling. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Big Dog will bring it to us one of yeah, these days. Big Dog, call us back next time. 415-858-0094. What's Laquan McGowan's wrestling name going to be? It'll be very interesting. I have another call, and I almost didn't want to play this call because I think this person is not a 49ers fan, and they're trying to troll us a little bit. But let's see what you think about this call. This is from Josh in Roner Park. Hey, I was just wondering what your guys' take was on the 49ers draft strategy. It seemed like some teams, like America's team, made draft picks with the intention of winning in 2016 and 2017. And some teams were looking to load young stars like the Browns and Titans. And some teams were trying to get the identity of their teams like the Rams and the Eagles. But it looked like the 49ers were the only team to use the strategy of trying to draft in 2016 with the intention of getting the number one pick in 2017 because it was a really <laughs> draft. So I want to know what you guys thought about that. <laughs> okay, right. so as much as I'd love to you know, bash this guy or you know, call him out. to me, well, first of all, he referred to a team as America's team. And so we know where give, his loyalty yeah, is. I'm not even going to give that team credit of who he thinks he's naming as America's team, but cause screw that. <laughs> Wish so, I could disagree with him. Unfortunately, like I don't like the draft. I, I, I like the first pick. I like the first Buckner. But after that, I, I, I could care less about any of these guys. I, I, I'd love for you know him to have gotten me worked up about this. But in all honesty, like dude, I'm kind of with you. I don't even hate on the draft necessarily. I, I disagree with some of the picks, but at the same time, we don't know. And in three years, it could be an amazing draft. But the the key is those first those first uh, those two first round picks because if you get two really good starters out of a draft that's a pretty solid draft i mean you're talking about sixth and seventh round picks at the end uh, a couple fifth round picks those guys don't pan out a lot anyway so it, it's really all about deforest buckner joshua garnett if those two guys are good then th th i mean this draft is cake it's fine you know yeah um, i mean the, I mean, the, the offense hope, I mean, and defensive line that that's the backbone of, of any football team right. and uh, i'm with you on that 100 percent. i i hope that me and that amazing caller are way off on this one 
Um, I, I really do. But yeah, I mean, in, until we see it. But like you said, we're, we're not going to see it for a little while. I mean, Buckner is probably going to make an impact right away. But Will Garnett, possibly. That was a really bad offensive line. You know, he's going to definitely have his chance to jump right in there and, and help this football team. Thanks, Big Dog, and thanks, Josh, for your calls there. And I, I, I want to go to Twitter because there's some people that actually really like the draft, so I want to get into some of this. Uh, Kevin on Twitter says, love the methodology of their draft plan, love the potential and the prospects they drafted. Another guy says, but they didn't draft Scooby or Adams. A lot of people wanted Scooby right out of uh, Arizona and obviously Adams out of, out of Oregon. And I think that connection was probably overblown because not only did he not get drafted, he didn't get signed as an undrafted free agent. He's actually got a tryout with the Seattle Seahawks. So he didn't even get signed as a priority free agent. So that tells you what NFL teams thought of uh, of Adams. And, and it's a little bit disappointing because I think he deserved at least more of a shot than, than he's getting. Yeah, I mean, he's getting a tryout. That, that's fantastic. You know he's not the kind of guy that's going to give up either. I mean, I could see him the kind of guy who would even go and play in the Canadian Football League. You know, maybe he goes the Doug Flutie route. Or something. I don't. I definitely don't think we've heard the last of Vernon Adams in the NFL. And uh, Marco, who's a frequent tweeter of the show and frequent listener, uh, he said he really liked uh, a lot of the picks. He liked Buckner. He loved Garnett. He loved the Redmond pick. I mean, if if and the Redmond pick, obviously, if if you're getting a first round player and you got that injury, uh, you got that discount because of injury, and it becomes a first round player, and you got that in the third round, that's awesome. But that is the exact same thing that we're saying this time a few years ago about Brandon Thomas, and he hasn't sniffed the field. Right. So, yeah, that, that's the problem, is not a single one of his injury projects has, has really turned out. I think Quentin Dial was actually hurt a little bit at draft time, but I don't. he didn't sit out his full rookie year either. So it wasn't mm-hmm. a major injury. So I don't know if you count him as one of the guys. If you do, he's obviously a success. Uh, I'm sure Balky does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but he went back to it, man, and he said before the draft he wasn't going to shy away uh, from drafting injured players. And I thought that was code that they're going to take Miles Jack. Yeah. And obviously that was code for they were going to take Will Redmond in the third yeah. round that nobody saw coming. And George says being upset about the, the later picks is really dumb because regardless of position or player, the odds are against those guys from the start. You know, yeah. that's, you and know, he's that's a, a George, George is the voice of reason there. Right. Thank you, George, for I mean, settling everyone down. You look at 11 draft picks, but really after the trade, there was only three, maybe four guys that you really expect – to make impacts. And I think you do expect, you expect to draft starters in the first three rounds, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And then after that, you start to fill out your team with depth and, and uh, special teamers, you know, or guys that are maybe one dimensional squad guys, right? Yeah. One dimensional players you're hoping to develop a little bit, but um, you get, you still got to wait three years and that that's the tough part. I mean, you can have all your, all your ideas about stuff now, but all the guys in the past that you thought, you know, Luke Jokel is looking like not a very good pick and he was the safe pick in 2013, right? Sure. Um, and it's just that kind of stuff happens. So you never know exactly what you're getting. You might get a guy like Alden Smith who's, oh, my God, he's amazing. And it's like, oh, my God, he's not in the league anymore. What happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> you just you just never know, man. So it's it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch these new rookies come in and, and compete in training camp. Yeah, I can't wait for training camp, man. This is going to be a, a long couple weeks here. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I am at BD Peacock. You can find Nick at Bay Area Wink. Subscribe, review the show on iTunes. We're on Instagram at Gold Faithful Podcast. You can drop us a phone or text message. You can call anytime because we're not going to answer it. It's just a message. Uh, 415-858-0094. Leave your uh, name and where you're from there when you call. GoldFaithful49 at gmail.com. 
Let us know what you think about the show. Whatever you want to chit chat about is fine. We even let opposing fans who listen to the show try to troll us. And you know what? It's okay. You're not going to get under our skin, right? Good effort, though. What? A game and three draft picks ahead of so-called America's team, if I'm not mistaken, last year, right? What, what? Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time. See ya.